Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class today is sponsored by Stephen Rappaport in honor of the Kahal. The Breakfast King strikes again. for success in everything. The week of Cobra was dedicated in honor of Rachel Syed, sponsored by her sons, Shtabach Shemot, turning into a family business. Amazing. Breakfast in the class. Uh, I know you've been waiting for the class, Rachel. Hazaku Baruch. Look at the beautiful family you raised. Breakfast in the class is sponsored by Edward Sofer, dedicated in loving memory of his parents, Ray and David Sofer. Aleham Shalom, David Ben Naima, Aleha Shalom, and Simcha Bathana, Aleha Shalom. Magnificent people that I knew personally. Week of Cobra was also sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you. And your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. And Breakfast in the Class is, is dedicated, loving memory of the Nishmat, David Ben Naima, sponsored by the Aharon family. Ruach uh, began Eden. Now, my friends, we have a beautiful, uh, a beautiful pasuk in front of us in, in this week's parasha. And I'd like to speak to you about it on this beautiful day of Rosh Chodesh. And I want to wish everyone a Chodesh Tovim Borach, a Chodesh, a month, uh, well, two months, of simcha, of joy permeating every part of your life, starting with your face. Is that Hashem? We should be zochet to see many, many smiles in the Beit HaKneset. Okay, the Pasuk tells us, uh, in the beginning of our parasha, speak to the Jewish people, and they will take for me, a donation, uh, uh, a giving, from every person, whose heart causes him to be generous, I want you to take the donations for me, only from a person who is generous of heart. So what, what is this donation you should take? Don't bring me casseroles. I don't want your doggy bag from last night's dinner. What teruma are you going to bring me? Zahav, gold, kesef, silver, nechoshe, copper. Sounds like God is working on 47th Street. <laughs> Carries on though and tells us that God is not only asking for materially beautiful and expensive things, but it carries on and talks about techelet, blue wool, argaman, purple wool, tolat shani, uh, red thread, you know, strings and, and, uh, and, and wool as well, shesh ve'izim, linen, right, goats, all these different things, leathers, orot techashim, you know, shemen amishcha, oil, God's asking, besamim, spices. So one guy is bringing gold, silver, copper, you know, sapphires, rubies, lapis, lazuli, is that how you pronounce it? Right? All these different beautiful, you know, stones, uh, the, the most valuable things, uh, substances on earth, precious stones, precious metals. And another guy, what's he bringing? He brings salt. <laughs> And not even the fancy pink Himalayan salt that you feel. <laughs> By the way, everyone gets sucked into that one, you know. Yeah, your guy tells you he knows the difference between salts. Tell him that you have a padded room with his name on it, okay? You know, oh yeah, I like that. This is, here's all the salts that I have. <laughs> Please, they all taste like salt, all right? So this guy's bringing all the wonderful things in the world. Hadda's bringing, uh, you know, oregano. Took me a long time. When I moved to England, these people kept talking about oregano. I was like, no. <laughs> okay? So it's amazing that the Torah tells us that there's this eclectic list of things that Hashem wants. Now, I just want to stop for one second and get out of the Torah and into just an element of abstract thought. Because I think a lot of times when we read the Torah, we put on our Torah brain. And that's a problem. 
because we check our own brain like in at the desk at the coat check and we're stopping to think as we think and we're like oh yeah okay that makes sense Hashem is a you know could you imagine Moshe comes to the people he's like okay guys I have an Amazon gift list who's it from it's from Hashem Hashem would like it's a little weird right it's a little weird also oregano <laughs> it's, it's strange but what makes it more strange is not just that God asked for a random mix of things. And again, that's how it sounds to the Jews. That Moshe is coming and telling them that Hashem wants all these things. Right? It's not just that. It's also, if you pay attention to the structure of the way the Torah actually asked us for these things. Could you imagine? Um, you're Moshe. Or you're God. And you want to come to the Jewish people and you want them to build you a Bet HaMikdash. You'd think that Moshe would have led with that. Okay, guys, big announcement. Starting Wednesday, we're building the temple, right? You'd think that that's what he would say. Moshe's reading them a laundry list, and they have no idea what it's for. All they understand at this point of the game is, Hashem wants gold. Really? Does Hashem want gold, Moshe? I imagine that's what people are thinking. Right? And then Moshe continues and says, at the end of everything, if he tells him this whole laundry list, and you, they will make for me mikdash, interesting word, okay? Uh, and I will dwell, I would dwell in them. Now, what's interesting is number one, that the order is reversed. You'd imagine that before you ask someone for a donation, you tell them what it's for, right? You stand up there and you say, I'm collecting money. Everyone's first question is, for what? You start by saying, I'm collecting money to marry off orphan brides and grooms. Oh, that's a nice cause. How much you need, Rabbi? Very different approach. So number one, why is the order reversed in the ask? So I want to share something very, very special. At this point, what were the Jewish people building? Were they building a Beit HaMikdash? Or were they building a Mishkan? A Mishkan. That's what they built, right? They didn't build a Mikdash. So if God is giving them the commandment to build a Mishkan right now in situ, why would God say Vasuli Mikdash? What should God have said? Vasuli Mishkan. And I read something very, very powerful about this question in the name of the Amshin of Rebbe. He says as follows. He says that God wanted to ensure that even when there was no Mishkan, there would still be the opportunity for the Jewish people to have the presence of God in their lives. Again, let's analyze his answer because I think his answer yields some beautiful chidushim in the way we relate to this concept. God said, build me a Mikdash because if he said, build you a Mishkan, then you'd only have God if you have a Mishkan. So therefore God said Mikdash, now you don't need a Mishkan in order to have God. Follow up question please. But you need a Mikdash. If I ask you which do you think is bigger, the Mishkan or the Mikdash, what do you say? Mikdash. What's holier, Mishkan or Mikdash? The key is in the word. Mikdash has the word holy in it. Right, correct? So what is this rabbi explaining over here? That God changes the word Vasuli Mikdash from Vasuli Mishkan to indicate even when there's no Mishkan, still God could be with you. 
And this chidush, what comes out of this is absolutely magnificent. It is true, the Beit HaMikdash was larger, holier than the Mishkan. Great, fine. But the word Mikdash is actually, to Ish, a funny word. Because the word Mikdash, or Kodesh itself, has two meanings, traditionally. The first meaning of the word Kodesh, or Kadosh, is that something is holy. It has an element of holiness, of spirituality about it. The second meaning of the word Kodesh, or Kadosh, is that something is Nivdal. Something is separated. So as an example, if you say, I'm putting aside money for my daughter's wedding, I'm just, that's a random example that I'm coming up with. It's not something that I'm thinking about. <laughs> In Hebrew, you'd say, I put aside this money, I separated this money from my daughter's wedding. You don't mean that you slaughtered a chicken on it, you made the berachat kohanim, you went took it to a rabbi. That's not what it means. Hikdashti means I set this aside. There's no holiness to that money. And yet in Hebrew, in the Hebrew parlance, that's called Hikdashti. Okay? In fact, interestingly enough, that's how paradoxically, there's a strange word that we use in the Torah to describe the woman that Yehuda met at the side of the road. It was in truth, it was Tamar. But Yehuda, in that moment, again, whatever it means, not, not for now, but it means that she was a, uh, a woman uh, of the night, a, prof a professional woman, if you will, in the oldest profession, Yani. okay? What's she called? Kedesha. The Gemara, Pasuk also says later in the Torah that there should not be a Kedesha uh, amongst the daughters of Israel. Kedesha means a person who, uh, who's uh, set aside for the purpose of adultery, for money. How could that be called Kedesha? How could that, the term for marrying someone be called Kiddushin? And it's called Kedesha. The answer is, because they are both set aside. They are both separate. One is separated for a positive reason, and one is separated for a negative reason. But they are both set aside. They're both different. My friends, the concept that our rabbis are communicating to us here is, that God said there's going to be a time where there won't be a Mishkan. Mishkan means a place, where God placed His name. He rests in that place. That could refer to a Mishkan. That could refer to a Beit HaMikdash. That could refer to lots of different, very special and holy places throughout history that were sanctified by the incredible events that took place in that place. Like Yaakov says when he reaches Haramoriah, he says, I did not know. This is a place that God rests, that God exists. Why? Because the actions of Abraham, of Yitzchak in this place were so powerful that they drew God into that place. And that place becomes Bet Elohim, a house of the Lord, ultimately becoming the site of the Bet Hamikdash. But God does not want to rest only in a Beit HaMikdash or in a Mishkan. God wants to rest in Ve'asuli Mikdash. Set aside something for me. Set aside a place for me. When you set aside time for learning, what are you doing? Asuli Mikdash. You separated something and that was for God. When you give tzedakah, what are you doing? A person gives money to Hekdesh. Why is it called that? 
Because he separated it for the right reasons. For the Beit HaMikdash, for the Beit HaKnesset, for Tzedakah. They put God on that money. They brought God, they drew Hashem in to that time, to that space, to this object. What Borei Olam was offering the Jews with this is, he said to them something beautiful. And that is why God does not lead by saying, build me a building, you know, get me a place. That's not what Hashem is saying. Hashem says, listen guys, I want you to give me something. Gold, silver, this, that, spices, oil, whatever it is. It's almost like God is saying, I don't care. Bring me to you. Bring me to your house. Bring me to your business. Bring me to your marriage, to your relationships, to your Bet Knesset, to your interactions every day. Bring me there. How do you do it? By setting it aside, by making it different than the rest of your day, than the rest of your life, than the rest of your money, than the rest of your relationship. When a person is in a very difficult time in their relationship, and they could have something to say, and they should say something, and they're so sharp, and they're so angry, and they refrain from saying something hurtful. They control themselves. In that split second, you made a mikdash, you brought God into this world. Because the only thing that made you not say something, I can tell you one thing, it wasn't your anger, and it wasn't your patience. You're so angry, and you're so impatient right now, and you want to explode like a volcano. But then a thought enters your heart and your mind and it says, but maybe I could be kind. But maybe I could be generous. I don't have so much money, but I see this person in front of me, they have less. Maybe I could share what I have. That thought is a receptacle within which God resides. That feeling is a feeling which is a receptacle, is a vessel within which God re resides. Telling someone, build me a sanctuary, build me a Beit HaMikdash, might feel for most people like a task which is too large. So God says, no. All I need from you is an act of giving. And you know what? You don't even need to be able to see that there's a structure here, that there's a full life of religion. Someone asks me, Rabbi, I don't know what to do. I have this I have this issue, Shabbat, da, 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 da. I said to them, okay, you can't do all that. Could you light candles? Forget what you're going to do in two seconds after that. Could you light candles? Could you make kiddush? But a person often thinks that unless I have the whole building, unless I have the whole structure, unless I'm, you know, I, you know what, I want to be do the right thing, unless I, you know, if I can't be Shomen all the way, I'm not going to bother starting with anything. If I can't do what's it called, study Torah all day, either I was a yeshiva, how many boys spend two years in yeshiva in Eretz Israel, a year in yeshiva, a few months in yeshiva, they come back, they go from this to nothing. Why? Then I was in yeshiva, where am I now? Now I'm nowhere, now I'm in uh, Morgan Stanley. No, the yeshiva was not a place of God because it has God's name stamped on the building. God's name is in that place because there's a bunch of people choosing each moment to look in a book, to study, to keep their eyes open, even though they were studying late last night. Now you're in Morgan Stanley. The option of bringing God to you a desk is exactly the same as it was in that other place in Israel. You're in the Beit Knesset this morning, surrounded by people praying, wow, this is the house of Hashem. This is the Mishkan. God says, no. If I restrict myself to the Mishkan, then I only have you with me for a short amount of time each day, at best. I want to be all in, all the time. Who wouldn't want God with them, all the time? 
Says the Torah, before it even tells us about the structure, before we get a chance to give up hope, you know what I do? I go tell the guy, not I want to build a big Beit Knesset in the city that's going to cost 20 million. The guy's like, it's never going to happen. I said, you have, a, you have a dollar? Guy gives you the dollar. You tell him, you know what I'm going to use this for? I'm going to build a Beit Knesset in Manhattan. I'm going to build the yeshiva. I'm going to build a mikvah. Oftentimes, it's very difficult for us to see, to see the structure. So God says, I don't care about the structure. I, I, will, I will inhabit the tiniest act of giving. I want to share with you an amazing story from in Izmir, which is Turkey. There was one of the greats whose name was Eliyahu Mizrahi. And he related the following story uh, that he himself experienced. There was a, uh, a woman in the town who unfortunately her husband passed away, a very old woman, and her name was Sarah. And according to her name, so she was, she was someone that took care of everybody. She would go around, she'd collect money from people, she would uh, withstand the abuse, the yelling, the screaming, the, the what's it called, the, uh, the uh, humiliation, in order to get some money, and then she'd go and bring it to the gaba'et tzedakah, to the people that collected tzedakah, and she'd give them the money to distribute amongst the poor. She helped everyone that she could come across. And people understood that she was completely shem shaman, didn't take a dime for herself, and that she was doing this only out of the goodness of her heart, so people gave generously. One day, she's walking down the street, and she's you know, asking people, asking people, asking people. There's a, a local non-Jew, a very wealthy man. He sees a lady, he calls her over. See, she's collecting money. It's funny, with his friends. She comes over, she says, would you like to help out people that don't have, hold out of hands. He says, absolutely, I'd like to make a donation. He reaches down on the ground, picks up a handful of sand and dirt, the pebbles, and he puts it in her hand. She doesn't get angry. She says to him with a little smile, she says, you gave me uh, stones, you gave me pebbles for tzedakah. I bless you that when you stick out your hand, the Jewish people should give you money and not stones. The guy, all of a sudden his joke backfired. All the friends, they're like, wow, this woman, who's probably a pretty holy lady, she just basically gave him a curse, you know, that he's going to need tzedakah. He doesn't know what to say. So she carries on with a smile, and she says, you know, the truth is, I could have actually given you a kilala, but I don't feel like I want to. Because I feel like you, she says to this non-Jewish guy, in front of all of his non-Jewish friends, because ultimately, I know that you're going to be a Jewish person, and ultimately, I know that you're going to be a Sadiq. And therefore, because of that, I'm holding back. The guy's like, what just happened? She walks off. All the friends are like looking at him. They're not sure what to think, what to make of that. But my friends, this man's fortunes immediately take a turn for the worse. His big business, gone. His connections, gone. Everything that he tried to do to make a dollar, gone. The guy found himself within a very short time after this story on the streets of Izmir with his own hand out. He's starving. He has nowhere to go. He goes to all the people from his own religion. No one will help him. One day he sees a long line of people and he sees that they're waiting and he says, what's this line? They said, look, we're all Jews from the area. Um, we don't have food to eat, so we wait over here. There's some wonderful people in the community. They prepare food, they help you out, they give you a little money for Shabbat. So today's Thursday, so they're going to give us some food, you know, in honor of Shabbat and as well, some money to buy food for the weekend. The guy gets on the line, in the back of the line. Everyone goes, 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 comes to the front. He turns to the Gabbai Tzedakah and he puts his hand out. And the Gabbai Tzedakah says, listen, I don't recognize you. What's your name? He tells him his name. 
He says, are you, are you from our community? Are you Jewish? He says, no. He goes, I'm really sorry. I can't help you. All this, uh, this, all this is from the community, people from the community, Jews from the community. And the money I'm distributing comes from the money that the community gives to distribute to people of the community. You're not part of the community. I can't give you. It's, I'm not allowed to give you from this money. But he says, he says, just because you're not from a community, I'm not allowed to give you this money. doesn't mean I can't help. He says, no one should go hungry. He reaches in his pocket and he pulls out some money from his own personal money. And he hands it to the guy. He says, here, go get something to eat. Take care of your family. The guy gets home. He walks in the door of his house and he bursts into uncontrollable crying. And he thinks to himself, all my people, all my friends, I couldn't get a dime. I went to the Jews, the Jews that I made fun of, the Jews that I put down, the Jews that I ridiculed. And this is how they treat a stranger. This is the people for me. He goes directly to the rabbi's house. He's not waiting a minute. He goes directly to the rabbi's house. He says, Rabbi, I have had such a change of heart. He tells him the whole story. And he tells him, I would like to join the Jewish people. The rabbi tells him, thank you so much, but no thank you. We're not interested. You know, doesn't say, uh, you know, converts wanted outside the front door of the thing. We're not. If I convert you, he says, I'm putting my own life at risk. Why? In cultures that the Jewish people lived in, they were forcibly forcing Jews to convert to Christianity. Forcibly at the sword, to convincing them to come to Islam. <clears throat> If you took an, an, a Muslim, or you took a Christian and you converted them to Judaism, they would kill you. The rabbi said, I can't take that chance, I'm really sorry. The man's crying, he's begging, there's all sorts of noise. In the commotion, someone outside comes in, opens the door, says, what's going on in here? Who's at the door? This lady, this old almana, this old widow, uh, Sarah. She sees the guy on the floor crying, she sees the rabbi, she understands exactly what's happening. She says, you see, my words came true. You're here asking to convert, aren't you? And he says, yes, you're absolutely right. She says to the rabbi, she says, listen, I know it's a dangerous thing. I know you don't want to do it, but I'm telling you, I know I can feel, I can sense from the time I met him that his heart is pure and he's going to do mitzvot and follow the ways of the Torah 100%. You should accept him. The rabbi of the town hears these words coming from the big sadeket, Sarah, the big Ba'alat Tzedakah Sarah, he says, okay, 100%. You got it. The man becomes a Ger Tzedek. After a short time, <clears throat> the, the poor fellow is, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, walking the streets. And on his journey through the streets, through the fields to collect money, he comes across a treasure, something that was buried. He digs it up, he can't believe something's here. He digs it up and it's a fortune of money that he actually finds. He takes the money, invests it um, in what, specifically in, uh, in developing a, a factory or a company, or excuse me, a, a store that sells uh, woven rugs and becomes one of the industry leaders in the rug producing business in Turkey. And through that becomes a fantastically wealthy Jew who always took uh, the needs of the Jewish people in the best of ways. And here's the best part. One day, Rav Eliyahu Mizrahi, who's one of the commentators that we have in, this, in the uh, Chumash, okay, uh, a tremendous sadiq, he sees this fellow walking, and he comes over to him to give him kavod. And the fellow says, why is the rabbi coming to give this, I'm a simple convert guy that, so he says, I'll tell you, I don't know who you are, but I can see on you, he says, keter ora, a crown of light. So I know that you're someone that deserves to be respected. And he says, where did it come from? 
He says, I'll tell you the truth. I'm someone that came to Yahadut for all the right reasons. I risked my life to become, uh, to become uh, a ger. I risked everything. And every day when I come to work, there's not a single thing that I do that is dishonest or without the highest state of integrity to be able to make a Kiddush Hashem in my life. My friends, A person can make a Mikdash, a holy place for God, but that place has to be separate. It needs to be different. It needs to be unlike the other places. There's a bumper sticker that said, I once saw, you only see bumper stickers in, the, in America, you see them on cars. In Israel, I think there's a law unwritten. It says everything is game for bumper stickers. They have bumper stickers in shul in Israel. And I remember seeing a bunch of great bumper stickers in Musayof. One bumper sticker was, my favorite, goes, <laughs> Which means, is not to pray you say when you're heading on your way. All right, beautiful. It's a bumper sticker in, uh, in Musayof. But there's another bumper sticker there. It says, if you come to shul to talk, where will you go to pray? And that's what it means, mikdash. If this place that we are in today, if it's set aside for prayer, then there's a holiness to it. If it's not set aside for prayer, you're hacking, you're this, you're talking sports, you're doing all these other things in there, and it's also praying, then this place is no longer a place which is separate. Some of the great tzaddikim, what they would do is they would try and have a place in their house that was set aside to study Torah. They didn't learn on the couch, at the table, upstairs, in their bed, downstairs. They, they built something. Even if it was just a tiny corner in the room, there was a great tzaddik, he couldn't afford anything. And he worked and worked and worked to be able to afford one piece of wood and a nail. And what did he do? He came home, he was so excited, he nailed the board of wood into the wall of his house, and now he had a shtender. And that was his place to study Torah. With one board of wood and with one nail, he sanctified a corner of his home for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A person can do this in a physical way, without a structure. A person can do this in a spiritual way, without a structure. A person can do this in an emotional, in, a, uh, in an intellectual way, without a structure. Think every time you have a positive thought, you brought a little bit of Hashem into yourself. What a crazy thing that is. So if you feel abandoned, alone, something's, things are not going the way you hoped, so there's only one way to bring Beracha into the world, and that is, into your life, and that is to bring the source of Beracha into your life. Next time you're in a meeting, it's not going your way. Stop for one second. Have a thought that brings Hashem into this conversation. Think to yourself, in od milvador, only Hashem controls the world. You brought God into the meeting with you. Could you imagine walking in, instead of lawyered up, you came guarded up? That's crazy. Hashem should bless us always to be zocheh, to bring and to separate a little space for God in our lives. Baruch uh, Amen